The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. We started early because there's a lot to talk about, so we're going to just dive right into it. Usually we do this in two nights, but we're doing it in one morning, which I think is good. Um, but my name is Lucas. I think you guys know me, and this is... Ariana. Um, we, w- we both went to the U of M, and that's where we met. We met in Campus Outreach as students. Um, yep, yep, r- very romantic. And <laughs> we've been married for five years now, and um, yeah, there we are. <laughs> And we've been on staff for four years. We were babies. Yeah, so the, the talk of, wow, the talk today, that's fine, I can keep it away, is established relationships. Um, so just a little perspective, relationships includes a lot of dynamics. So that could be from family to friends to community to dating to marriage, all that. So we could spend weeks talking about relationships and still barely scratch the surface. So. Um, We have a lot of things we want to talk about, but just know, I mean, we've only been married for five years, so we don't have all the answers to marriage. We dated for a season. We don't have all the answers to dating. Um, We just want to give you perspective and give you um, biblical views of things that we learned through the relationships that we've had, Um, and there's, I mean, we could spend a lifetime unpacking relationships, so this is not all-inclusive. This is, is some of the things that we've learned. Yeah, so our aim for this morning is to do this. So to help establish your view of gospel-rooted relationships and to give you some guiding principles. And so you see the theme flavored in there, but we want to help establish your view of gospel-centered relationships. Um, were you going to say, or you had a, oh yeah, what page is it? Well, we did rotate. 89, so yeah. about 89. Um, yeah, but the have in gospel-rooted relationships. And we're not going to go through everything. We have a lot to say, but Usually we did, last year we did this in two nights, so we cut a lot of practicals, principles out, which maybe is a better thing, because those should be coming through community. Um, and so we want you to be leaving this feeling p- like excited about relationships, not like, oh man, I've done relationships bad, but we want to help stir, your, stir you guys up to pursue healthy relationships and friendships, dating, and um, future marriage. And so, um, like I said, like you might have a lot of questions throughout this. We're not going to come close to answering any or all of those, maybe some of them. Um, And so use us, staff, other people to ask a lot of questions afterwards. Um, And so, um, but before we even get started into like practical relationships, we want to talk about um, the most important relationship, um, vertical relationship that we have with God and how he just designed relationships. And so let me pray for us and then then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for who you are and um, that we um, can know more about relationships and how just you designed men and how you designed women and, um, and even how that works in relationships and, and to paint a fuller picture of who you are. And so I pray that all of us in this room would, would um, get more excited about that and that we would pursue healthy relationships. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so like Lucas said, we're going to start with the relationship, the the relationship that flows into all other ones. So um, I shared this clip last year, but um, I love it, and I love this movie. So how many of you guys have seen the new or the old Beauty and the Beast? Okay, 
So um, I watched this with some of the volleyball girls, which I'll explain how that interaction was. The new one that came out a couple years ago. I'm not spoiling anything. The old one's been out for longer than you've been alive, so you've had plenty of time to see it. Um, but we're going to watch a clip real quick. This is from the old one. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. And when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. And as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose which would bloom until his 21st year. If he could learn to love another and earn her love in return by the time the last petal fell, then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? I love that movie so much. <laughs> Makes me want to watch it again and again and again. Um, so I went and watched this with some of the volleyball girls when the new one came out, and it was, it was really fun for me because I was sitting next to some of the freshman girls, and they were getting, all their emotions were on display as they watched it. When Gaston came in, they were like, ah! And then when the Beast and Belle were interacting, they were like crying, so excited, and then mad about things. And, and part of me at first was, if I'm honest, was like, oh, they don't really know what relationships are like. Um, but and in a way, I started to see they're actually responding truly into how our hearts should respond to the fantastic things about relationships. So in the car ride back, I was like, oh, my gosh, did you guys see all the parallels of this and this and how that points to the gospel? And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, but so that's what I want to unpack a little bit is so he, he turned into a beast, right? Externally, originally, he looked really attractive, even though in his heart he was really selfish and prideful and he had everything his heart desired, but he was really evil. And so the woman, the enchantress, enchantress um, curses him to have his outside look like what his inside truly was. And that's us. So in a Christian um, way, we're going to unpack that a little bit. But Jason is um, a pastor for Bethlehem, the church we attend. So he talks about this in a sermon on leprosy, which is another external thing. So he says... We are all spiritually unclean, much worse than a skin condition. Our disease goes much deeper to the core of who we are as children of wrath. 
The problem is that we fixate on the external. It is projected on the outside for all to see. We do a good job, usually, of hiding our internal uncleanliness. What if there is a video projector attached to your mind and heart that would play all of your secret, envious thoughts, lustful thoughts, anxious thoughts, hateful thoughts, angry, cutting words, angry actions, one filthy thought or action after another? Wouldn't you and people around you be repulsed? So imagine that this projector put all of your thoughts and actions and evil things through your whole life on display for this whole room to see. There's a part of you that's like, oh gosh, please don't let that happen. Because we know that that's us. Like, we are the beast. Internally, that is us. We are the beast in this movie. Um, and we have leprosy on the inside, even though externally we try to portray that we're okay. Um, and so that's what makes this movie a little bit more real. It's like, that's us, the beast. But then there's the beautiful part about Belle. And everyone loves Belle because she's beautiful, she's seemingly innocent in the movie, and she comes and loves someone that we see externally as unlovable. It's like, who could, did you catch the line at the end of that? Who could ever learn to love a beast? But Belle loves the beast, and that's what makes her look so beautiful. And that's Jesus, that he would love us, the beast, is what makes him look so beautiful. And some of you maybe are thinking, well, you know, it's just a movie, so of course Belle loves the beast. That's part of the movie. But Jesus could never really love me because I'm uglier than the beast. And to that I would say, you're right. You are uglier than the beast. So how much more is it amazing that Jesus would love us than Belle, who just loves the beast? So we want to start there. We want to be focused on the horizontal or the vertical relationship because all relationships are just shadows of that. It just points to the vertical one. And even, I actually wonder if the creator of Beauty and the Beast um, is a Christian because even the theme song is Tale as Old as Time. And so this story of someone loving someone so unlovable is the original true story that all other stories are borrowing from. And we love that story. That's why we love watching and reading books and watching movies. Um, so let's not, even though we're going to dive a ton into horizontal relationships, let's not forget the real relationship of where this is all coming from. So yeah, before we, we do that, we wanted you guys to understand that we need Jesus more than um, a boyfriend, more than a spouse, more than a girlfriend, more than a friend. Um, and that's what we're are made for. That's what we're, we're really wanting. And so um, I have a quote. It's not up there, but um, it's by our own Eric Lonergan. He's on staff, but he actually got it from somewhere else, and I could not find it. So I'm just saying he got he, it's his quote. But he, a couple years ago, he gave this talk, and he said, everyone is looking for someone who is looking for you. And so at some level in our hearts, we are looking for someone who's looking for us. Um, and I think that's so true. And and we, we already talked about the idea of being known and loved. And like with what Ariana said, like we, we desire to be known. We want to be known. But at the same level, we know ourselves and that there's this level of like beastness in us. And we're afraid um, if we're fully known, will we be loved? Um, but with the gospel, with God, he knows you perfectly. He knows that you're a beast. He knows every wicked thought you've ever had. He knows your projector screen. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a scary thing. Like, he knows when you're going to sit down. He knows when you're going to stand up. Um, but yet, he fully loves you. He loves the beast. He wants the beast because Christ has died for us. Um, and he took you in. And so that thing that you're craving for, to be known and loved, we have that in the gospel. And so before we dive into the horizontal relationships, we really want you guys to understand the vertical relationship that we have. That, that's what fuels these other relationships. That's the point of these other relationships. Um, 
And it's, it's not even close if you compare them. And so we're going to start, start talking about marriage tonight first. Um, and marriage, um, we're starting with marriage because, um, well, dating, what, what did you say? This morning, not tonight. Oh, yeah, tonight. I, I'm used to saying tonight, this morning. <laughs> of course, it's really early in the morning. Um, <laughs> but, like, dating is very short, but marriage is going to last a lot longer, and so we want to talk about that first. And I think every one of you is already impacted by marriages, whether it's your parents' marriage or um, friend or uncle or statistically most of you will get married not everyone and so we want to talk about marriage first and so um our first point yep so we have a few points on marriage the first one is marriage is not the mission marriage is not the mission um and under that we're going to unpack two different things the first one is that marriage is disappointing Anna and normal kind of stole our entire talk in their q a so we were like well we were, we're done um but Marriage is disappointing. They talked a little bit about this, but um, one way to portray that for us is uh, Lucas and I, as you probably know now, we really love movies and stories and books and stuff. But So our date nights often involved us going to watch movies together. Um, and we love the movies that are like kind of interpretive endings so you can spend like hours after trying to figure out what the meaning meant. Well, then our date nights quickly turned into fight nights because we would spend the rest of the time fighting about the interpretation. I'm like, this is what it means. And he's like, no, this is what it means. I'm like, you're not listening to me. He's like, you're not listening to me. So then we would just fight about it. And that just goes, it's like kind of funny, but it's sad because it's like the whole point of our date to have a date night each week was so that we could be close, so that we could grow in our intimacy with one another. But instead, it was causing dissension. We were actually moving further away from each other because of our selfishness. And so something we were aiming to be close, our sin comes in and ruins. So it's disappointing. Um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that talks a little bit about this. He says, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, it being like that deep desire of satisfaction, um, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And he talks about this before he talks about the quote of like, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can meet, it must mean I was meant to be satisfied or live somewhere else. So that's what's happening here. It's like, in marriage is disappointing. We love each other and it's fun to be married, but it's really disappointing and it should be. Marriage should be disappointing because I cannot be Lucas's Jesus, even if I tried really, really hard, and he cannot be mine, and we're sinful. The point of our marriage is not to satisfy one another, and that desire I have as a woman, if I'm seen, will I really be known and loved? I'm seen most by him than anyone else, and Anna Nirmal talked about this, and yet I know he can't love me perfectly, and I feel that, and so it's disappointing, and it's right that it's disappointing. So the second point, the reason it's right, is because Jesus is the mission. Jesus is the mission of our marriage. The point is that in being dissatisfied, and even in the ways that Lucas does know and love me well, is that it points me to Jesus, and I see that's the bell that's meant to see my beastliness and love me, not Lucas. He can't be my bell, and I can't be his, um, but Jesus is. Colossians 2 um, points at this a little bit. It says, these are the shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in the highest of high moments where we're doing really well, it's just a shadow, barely touching what it will be like when we're with Christ. And in the ways we don't care for each other well, it's just a reminder that we are meant to be satisfied and filled and known and loved in Christ, not in each other. So if marriage is not the mission, so then what is marriage? Um, 
Marriage is being on mission together. And so there's this article from Growing Leaders, and they talk about, raise your hand if you ever heard of the, sh the TV show Bachelor. Most of you probably have. A lot of you probably haven't watched it. I mean, I haven't watched it. Um, just to make sure. <laughs> and then also raise your hand if you've heard of the TV show Biggest Loser. Okay, so this, this article basically compares relationships in these two TV shows. And The Bachelor, wh what is The Bachelor all about? It's all about relationships. It's all about finding that perfect hunk or that perfect Barbie and whatever it is, it's like, and to woo them. And in a sense, it's like a based on appearance, it's based off of compatibility. Um, and so that's what The Bachelor is about. And then The um, Biggest Loser is all about weight loss. Um, it's about losing weight and doing it together. And, um, and so in that show, relationships are formed based off pursuing a mission. And so what this article does, it shows, it tells us, okay, which show actually produced more lasting, healthy relationships? And actually, it wasn't even close. The Biggest Loser does. Um, and part of it is because they're not pursuing each other. Like, they're not looking to each other to, to fulfill that happiness or whatnot, but they're, they're, they're on mission together, and that's weight loss. And now... You were like, okay, where am I going with this? Okay, the, the, in Christianity, our mission is way more important than that. And we're made to be on mission together. And so we're going to go to Ephesians 5 to see what that mission is. And so um, can I get someone to read this big chunk? So really loudly and clearly. Awesome, that was great. Um, and so I just want to um, look at that word mystery. It says, okay, this marriage, this idea is a mystery, and what is it? What is this mystery? And so our mission in marriage is to image Christ and the church. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like with the wife and the husband, but that's the mission in marriage. It's not each other. It's not just to, like, losing weight, but it's to image Christ and the church. Um, and I just want you to know that, like, what Anna Normal talked about last week about displaying um, God through your gender, like, you don't need to be married to do that. And so we're specifically going to talk about what that looks like inside of marriage. Um, and so I'm going to talk about husbands first. So what, is, what are the husbands called to do? So we are called to give all of ourselves for her joy. Um, just as we saw that Jesus Christ died for the church um, and, and made the church 
without blemish, without wrinkle. Like, Jesus loves the beast, um, loves us in that way. And so as a husband, as what I'm called to do with Ariana is to give myself for her joy, um, to sacrificially love her. And it's not a domineering leadership type thing, but it's, it's like what Anne and Nirmal talked about the other night, where I'm called to love her and, and sacrifice myself for her. And um, I remember it was about 2012 when I was dating Ariana, and I was wondering, okay, is, do I want to marry Ariana? And I was wrestling through that question, and a guy on staff named Matt Reagan, he's not on staff here anymore, uh, we went to Kobe Express, one of my favorite places to eat down here, and he asked me the, this question. He's like, Lucas, do you get excited about giving yourself for Ariana and for her joy, like sacrificing your time, your energy, your money, your body, your everything for her? And when he asked me that, it clicked. I'm like, yes, I do. Like, I, that's what I want to do. And that helped me have a good picture of marriage and like my call is to give myself for her joy, to help her see more of Jesus. And so this isn't easy. It's hard. I fail at it all the time, um, but that's part of the husband's call. And so we have an analogy wanna, we want to share about what this looks like inside of marriage, and it's kind of like a dance. And we actually get this from a pastor at Cities Church, where some of you go. Um, his name is Joe Rigney, and so he talks about the husband's role, and I'm going to all read this. So in the dance, the husband leads the way, his hand gently, almost imperceptibly, imperceptibly, moves the couple around the room. He's guiding, he's leading, he's anticipating, and he's doing so in such a way that most of his influence will be entirely unnoticed and for the express purpose that no one will be watching him and all eyes will be on his bride. His goal in the dance is to honor her, to showcase her, and to allow her to flourish. That is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, Woman is the glory of man. A wife is the glory of her husband. She is his crown. And I think this is just a really just beautiful picture of marriage and what that looks like. And so, like, Ariana is my crown. Like, she um, is more beautiful than me, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, and so my role is to showcase her, to help flourish her. Um, and this is exciting. Like, I get excited to do that. Like, it's, she is the, the, the point of the dance. Like, my purpose in the dance is for her, people to look at her, not to see me in that way. Um, and as, remember what Anne talked about, she said that the way that God designed women is women reveal the display of God's glory and the invitation into his glory. And so I want people to, sh to see that display. Um, and that's exciting. Yeah, so um, women are side of the dance. Um, wives are called to joyfully and attentively respond to his lead. Um, and we see that when Ephesians 5.22 says, women, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now a ch as a church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husband. So um, Anna Nirmal talked a little bit about submission at the Q&A, so we're not going to spend a ton of time there, but I just wanted to um, re-click on two of the things that they said. The first one was that, Submission is a specific call for wives to husbands. So this is not all women in general to husbands in general. This is wives to husbands. And for the man, for him, with his design to be making, um, having weight in the world, making a move, initiating, I want, as the woman, to support that. And I love supporting when I do it well. 
which is not often, but supporting Lucas to put on his Superman cape and go and impact the world. Like, it's, it's fun and enjoyable, and that's, for me as the wife, is to lift him up to be making an impact and bringing weight into this world the way that God's designed him. And the second thing about submission is just that it's willing and joyful. I, I chose to marry Lucas because I love him, and I get really excited about helping him be who God has designed him to be. So as Joe describes the wife's side of the dance, um, he says this, What then about the wife? What is her role in the dance? While she follows her husband's lead, she submits to him because that's fitting in the Lord and in the dance. Her responsiveness to his leading is what makes it a dance and not two people yanking each other around a shiny floor. But in thinking about marriage in this way, it ought to become obvious that responding to your husband's initiative isn't about being passive, as though being a good wife means sitting there while he does all the work, as though following a man is somehow easy and mindless and demeaning. I read a good line about this earlier this week. Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, except backwards and in heels. There's no passivity there. The kind of responding and receiving that a wife is called to is lively and active, not limp. She's firm, alert, and responsive. So some of you, I probably don't know, but Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were iconic dancers for motion pictures in the 1930s and 1940s. So he's saying what Ginger had to do to respond well to Fred, she had to do backwards and in heels and was attentive and ready to dance. And, and that's what beautiful submission looks like. We're ready, I'm ready to react and to move and to help Lucas think about how to move and to push him in that direction. Um, and it's not like when we try to swing dance, we're both pulling each other in different directions, um, but it becomes a beautiful dance. And so the point of this in marriage is that as the man's side and the woman's side come together, that we would paint a picture of dancing together and dancing well, and elegantly moving around the floor. It takes effort, it takes discipline. We don't do it very well very often, but um, when we do it and as we're fighting to do it, it is a very glad effort. Um, and I have a story to kind of picture that. I've shared this story a ton, so Bethel people have probably gotten bored of it, but I'll reshare it, because I think it's one of the places in our marriage that um, it shows the way that God helped us dance together really well. So about two to three months into our marriage, the um, honeymoon stage was gone for me. I started to realize being married is hard and um, not everything is bubbly and great about Lucas anymore. Um, I started to see that there's actually a lot of things about him that were annoying me and bothering me. So I, it was building up in these small little accounts. I was like, man, I hate the way you walk on your heels in the house. I hate the way you eat your cereal. I hate the way that you leave your cereal box open. I hate the way your belly sticks out when you walk. It's just all these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's it was it, it's funny now, but it was like really it's really sick. It's based. I was sitting there judging every little thing about him and feeling annoyed. Maybe how you are starting to feel with the people in your room right now. I know that's how I felt on project. I was like, oh, all the little intricate things that you're doing just really get under my skin, and I didn't want to tell him because I started to see my beast self there, and I thought if I tell him, there's no way he's gonna love me. Like he's gonna think I married a crazy woman. Marriage is hard, and we're going to be in the long haul for a really long time. But he could tell I was off, and so he moved towards me. He came towards me, and he's like, Ari, what's going on? Just tell me what's happening. And I was like, I can't tell you. You're going to hate me. And he's like, you can tell me anything. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, so I let my arm down, and I let him in, um, invited him in to see the beast that I am. And I was like, well, I hate everything about you. And I just <laughs> vented all these things on him, willing and waiting 
interested, waiting for him to be mad and sad or um, lash out at me, and in some ways, uh, like, deservingly, but instead he didn't say a word. He just picked me up, took me to my room, and gave me a back massage. And I just wept because I thought, I don't deserve this. Like, I was just evil to him and beastly to him, and he responded beyond what I deserved. And I wasn't just crying because I thought, wow, Lucas is so great, because I still remembered all the things that annoyed me about him, but I was weeping because I thought, this is an image of the gospel. This is what God does to us. He's like, I know everything about you more than you know, and I chose to love you as the beast. I move towards you. I love you, and I'm going to give you even more than that. And so it's, that's why the dance is beautiful, because when the pieces come together, it doesn't make us cling to each other. It makes us want, and be a, it's a shadow of the substance that is to come. So, um, so we, last year we had like five principles on marriage, like, and we cut a lot of them out. We cut sex out, we cut divorce out, we cut a lot of stuff out. So we just have two now. And so we have just two, two principles on marriage, and the first one is that there, the Bible really talks about just two prerequisites. Um, and the first one is, it must be someone of the opposite sex from, um, and we get this from Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, um, to his wife, that's not the right, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so, um, <laughs> that wasn't probably on, on me. Um, but God designed marriage this way, and that's what we just talked about. This image is Christ in the church and how God designed men how he designed women. Um, I just want to have a, just a quick note here, and I think I mean, some of you here in, in this room um, perhaps have, like, same-sex attraction, and we just want you to know, like, we're really glad that you're here, and even being at this talk might be really difficult. Um, and we just, we would, we love you guys, and we, we'd love to, if you have any questions or more thoughts about this or just want to talk about it, we'd love to dive into that with you. Um, so, yeah, that's the first one. The second one is must be a Christian, and so 2 Corinthians 6.14 is, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so, um, so if we, t we just talked about what is the mission of marriage, and it is to image Christ in the church, right? If that's our mission, if that's a Christian's mission, then why would we want to be married to someone who doesn't share that same mission? If they don't understand the gospel, if they don't know Jesus in that way, we don't want to be unequally yoked there um, because that's the point. The point is to image Christ in the church. So the second principle on marriage we have is that love is not a feeling. It is a commitment. Um, and under that, we just had feelings come and go. So um, C.S. Lewis talks a little bit about this in Mere Christianity he says, being in love is a good thing, but it is not the best thing. It is a noble feeling, but it is still a feeling. Now, no feeling can be relied on to last in its full intensity or even last at all. Love, as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace with which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other. Um, I liked it w this quote when I read it because it felt like it hit home for one of the, we have a little phrase, well, mainly I have a little phrase <laughs> towards Lucas, um, where I say, 
I love you, Lucas, but I don't like you very much right now. Um, and mainly what I'm communicating there is, like, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. We have this commitment. I'm going to be with you, but my affections aren't there. And, and affections are good. The feeling of being connected with him is good, and I ought to feel that more, and I want to be praying more that I would desire and delight in my husband more than I do because it's wrong for me that I don't. But in those moments when I don't, because feelings come and go, I'm not chasing that feeling. I have this commitment here, and this commitment is what is going to, which is our next point. Oops, I'm jumping so far ahead. Um, the commitment of our love to each other is what is going to fuel our affection to one another, not the other way around. We're not going to chase our affection and then let that decide whether or not we're committed. We are committed to each other, and that's going to fuel our affection to one another. And we see this in the gospel. We see this from God. In 1 John 4, verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he was committed to us. He didn't wait until we had affection or desire for him. He sent his son to die for us, and that is his commitment. And I know for probably a handful, if not everyone in this room, um, it's, I know that I struggle with this sometimes, of really feeling like, does God really love me? I just really don't feel like God loves me. And I would say, remember that his love for you came in his commitment for you. And look there. Don't wait for until you feel like he loves you to move towards him, until you feel like he has affection for you because circumstances change, to go and delight in him. Go delight in his commitment for you because that is where affections can grow. As you see how much love he has for you in the things that he's done for you, the more you focus there and look there and see he really does love me, that he would die for me when I didn't want him at all, when he, that he would die for me when I am in my complete beast form, Wow, what a love he has, and affection will grow out of that. So next we have friendships. Um, and so friendships, we have friendships next because they, they last longer than dating. Dating is such a short season of your life, and we really want to help you guys establish healthy friendships with the opposite sex. Um, and, I mean, part of, like, good friendships make for good marriages. Like, Ari and I were friends for a while before we even started dating. Um, but before we talked about how we want you guys to pursue friendships with opposite sex, we're going to just talk about two ditches that we see often. The first one is avo avoidance. Um, and I think avoidance can come from just the, our core fears as men and women. Um, like part of the, the fear of men is uh, weightlessness. And so the idea of if I move and if I move towards this group of girls that maybe I don't know, like, and what if they don't respond? What if, like, I'm afraid of taking this risk because I don't want to be weightless. And so um, you don't move at all. You don't try to get to know your sisters in Christ. Um, and on the girl side, it's afraid, you're afraid of being uh, invisible or not noticed. And so um, if, I, if I move over there, if I try to be visible and if they don't like me or if they don't want to know me. And so there's this, this fear on both sides of what I think can cause the avoidance. And I just want you to know, like, this was both Ari and I, and we both fell into this camp of, of feeling afraid to um, move towards just the opposite sex, and then we're even towards each other when we, before we even started dating. So I think a good question to ask yourself if you're in this category um, is why do you avoid the opposite sex, and what are you afraid of? 
yeah, like Lucas said, this was both of us. This was me. Anne had said in her thing, she's like, oftentimes for women, the person we want to see be seen by the most is the person we interact with the least. And I was like, that was definitely me. I would talk to everyone in the room before I would even look at Lucas because I was so wanted to be seen by him, but I thought if he saw me, it would hurt more if he saw me and didn't want me, so I would avoid him seeing me. Um, so the other side is overindulgence. That would be the other ditch that we fall into um, with friendships of the opposite sex. And so there's two ways I think this could flesh out. The first way would be we so badly want to find that bell that would love us as a beast inside marriage that we, we almost use friendships of the opposite sex as just a means to get someone to get married to. And so you could walk into a room and have yes, no, maybe scale on all these people's heads and you don't even know them yet. You haven't even gotten to know their heart and you're just using it as a way to find what you want to find in friendship with them pursuing marriage. And the other way I think too is um, over over interacting with the opposite gender because which I hear this a lot of like I just get along better with the opposite sex and and I'm not saying that that maybe is not true I think there are different habits and activities and things that we like that does help us click with the other gender more um, and that's okay but but there's a part of me that wants you to really think about why why what is it about the people of your same sex that makes it so hard for you to get along with them because I think there could be something else going on under there um, so I think if you fall into this camp to really ask yourself, what of my interactions with this, uh, what the other gender look like and why? What am I really chasing after? Am I trying to find someone to be married to? Am I trying to avoid um, the vulnerability with same gender? Am I chasing after something else? So wrestle through that. So then how are we ought to relate to one another? And I want to help you guys see it as, as family. We want to relate to one another as family. And so um, if you skip the mission part, look down at that verse. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You, are also, you. you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Um, I mean, oftentimes, if you have a brother or sister, like, you're going to relate to them as family. No one has to tell you that. And so, in, a, in the same sense, we want to relate to each other as family and to love one another, to stir each other up for good works. Um, and this is, this is really exciting and really good, and this is what we want for you guys. We want us to be loving one another. And I think when we're loving one another, we're not avoiding, and we're not just going to someone just so that they liked you. But it's really counting them more significant, where the purpose of it is, like, you want to care for them. You want to hear how their day goes. You want to hear how they're doing, because they're a a sister or a brother. Um, and I remember when, I, when we were students at the U of M, um, and people who go to the U of M know, know what this is like, but there is the, the compound, which is a weird name for it, but there's a girl's house and there's a guy house, and I just feel like this verse happened a lot during those seasons of being in college, and, and because the girls would have us over a lot, they would host things, the, we would have the girls over at our house, and there was just a lot of getting to know each other, serving one another, and I think when un unbelievers came into that, they noticed a difference. They noticed, like this verse says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, um, and it was just, a, I think, a really sweet experience. So like Before that, I didn't really have that interaction with other women. It, like what it looked like to actually treat them as my sisters and to, for them to treat me as brothers. And it really started to do a lot in my heart of what that actually looks like. And so your mission in friendships is to display the love of Jesus has for you in your friendships. So we're going to move now to dating. I know we're flying through things, but there's so much to talk about and only so much time. 
Um, so we have two aims when we talk about dating with you guys. Um, the first one is we just want to give you guys some biblical principles. And the second aim is that we want to give you gospel-informed advice. Um, so dating is a thing of the culture. Um, you right after this one, right? um, dating is a thing of the culture. It, the Bible doesn't talk about dating because dating didn't happen the way that it is today in that time. Um, the Bible talks about family, talks about um, a little bit of community, friendship in there, and it talks about marriage. So what we want to do is use biblical principles, use what God talks about for his body of believers to help inform us in what that might look like in today's culture of dating. Um, what because of that, the world in dating, they tend to use dating as a way to go find their bell. Like, I'm going to date, and I'm going to chase after person after person after person after person until I find that person that's going to see me, know me, and love me. And they're unsatisfied because they're not knowing that it's meant to be found somewhere else. And I think we can still do that. We forget that we've already found our bell in Jesus, and so we try to run after other people and take that. Where for Christians, we know God loves marriage because he designed it. And if he's good, then marriage is good. And he's for marriage. So if I want to date, it's because I want to pursue marriage. So Christians, our aim in dating is to pursue marriage, not to chase after someone to find a bell, but it's to pursue the Christian view that God has for marriage. So in that, we could give a billion principles on dating, um, but each situation is different. So we're just going to give a few. Um, the first one, first dating principle is pursue clarity over intimacy. Pursue clarity over intimacy. Um, we tend to prioritize intimacy first, and so what we want to do is talk about what happens when intimacy becomes prioritized instead of clarity, and then we'll talk about clarity. Um, so what tends to happen when we prioritize intimacy is that we get really, really high emotional intimacy. Um, I remember feeling this often as a young believer. I thought if I can do, if I don't have sex in my dating relationship, then everything, then I'm having a great relationship and I'm being healthy and um, intimately in a good way. And I think that that's not necessarily true because what I was doing, even though I wasn't trying to do physical things, I gave everything else of myself, all of my emotions, every thought I had. I was still chasing after this guy to be my Jesus, even though I didn't do physical things. And I think a lot of you in here, or maybe a handful, I actually don't know all of your situations, but this is very common that I see as I interact more and more in, I think, our Christian culture is that we, we know, like, sex is bad. The Bible talks about not giving into sexual temptation, so then we just give ourselves, and we're married emotionally to each other, even if we're fighting to sustain from that, and that's not, there are still deep things about our emotional heart that is meant to be inside the context of marriage, not in the context of dating. Or, or just really good friendships of the same sex, too. Um, the second one is physical intimacy, and I think just when, when we focus on intimacy, um, when it's prioritized, it's just natural that the physical wants to come along with it. Part of that is how God made us in that way. And so um, that just increases when intimacy is focused. Um, and so, like, this physical intimacy, I think, is we see clearly it's designed for the context of marriage. Um, and so what we want to talk, I want to talk about a little bit is pursuing purity and what that looks like. And so there's just a couple verses that I want to talk about. The first one is 1 Corinthians 6.18. So outside of marriage, this is what we're called to do, flee from sexual immorality. Um, and inside of marriage, it's actually, you're encouraged to be intimate in that way, um, which we, we didn't talk about the sex part, so if you have more questions, you can ask us later. Um, and so within, 
First Timothy 5, 1 and 2 talks about how, ought we ought to, how do we ought to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And so it says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older men as mothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Um, and so we're called to relate to one another in all purity um, as brothers and sisters with, with one another. And so um, this, is, this is not just physical things, but I also think like in, with your thoughts, the way that you talk to one another, but to relate to one another in all purity. And I think when, when I read this verse and when maybe perhaps you're reading this verse, I think there can be two reactions to something like this. One of them could be shame, like, oh, I failed at this. I have not, I have not done this well. Like, I have been impure. Um, and you might feel a ton of shame there. We're going to talk about that in a second. And the other one might be pride. Like, oh, I'm great. I have not done that. I've been pure with my brothers and sisters. And you might be thinking of someone right now, like, at least I haven't done that. Or I'm better than this person because of that. And so Ari's going to talk about the shame side first. Yeah, so when I was um, a student sitting in this room my second summer, um, actually my first summer too, I, I was the one that felt a lot of shame because I had already given myself to someone else. I had already um, gone all in, physical, emotional, all the intimacy levels um, with a guy. And, and so as I felt as I was hearing it, like, man, I, I, there, I can't wear white on my wedding day. Like, I mean, I can tangibly, but I felt like I'm not going to feel white inside. Um, and, and in some ways, too, for my story, there is also deep parts of physical intimacy that were taken from me, that I didn't want taken from me as a child. And so, and I think for some of you in that room, you might still feel even dirty because of that and shame because of that, that someone took what's meant to be beautiful inside marriage and took it for themselves, or you have handed it to someone else. And I just, we just want to say, remember, the reason we started with the gospel is because that's the most important relationship. And so if Jesus can look at you and say, you're beautiful, no matter what you've done, no matter what other people have done to you, I want you. He wants the beast that you are. And he, that's why he died for you. He showed his commitment to you. And so you can be beautiful, pure white inside, not just on your wedding day, but on the wedding day when you're united with him because of what Jesus' blood has done for you. So, um, yeah, like, Jesus wants the beast in that sense, and we really want you to understand that. Like, there is, like, that's part of the gospel that makes it pretty candid and really with the sinners. That's us. That's me. And, like, we really want you to see that that's why the gospel is so sweet. Um, and then secondly is the pride side. And so those of you who are judging others, who are thinking that I'm better because I haven't done that. And I think I just want to speak word to you pretty directly. Like, I think there's a a level of your own sin and your, your own pride of, of just wickedness that you don't understand. Like, you need Jesus probably more. Like, like there's, like, just because you haven't done those things doesn't mean that you're any better off. Um, and I have a uh, sh quick story about this. I remember when I first came on staff, I was at Bethel, there was a guy that who just became a Christian, and he had a, a pretty, like, physical background, like a lot of stuff that had happened, and he was in a relationship. And when he became a Christian, like, part of his, his experience becoming a Christian was that he felt a lot of forgiveness and grace over just the sexual things he has done in his past. And so when he was in this relationship, this, this girl kept bringing, like, he had shared all that stuff with her, which I would recommend waiting to share some of that stuff until engagement. Um, but he shared all that stuff with her, and her response was, I can't believe you did that. Um, 
And, and she, she kept bringing it up and bringing it up to the point where he was feeling a ton of shame. And, man, that just made me really, really sad. And I told him, like, I'm, I don't know if this is best for you because there's, like, real aspects of the gospel she doesn't understand. Like, you felt forgiven. You've gone to Christ, and he forgave you over those things, and yet she's not forgetting those. And, and like, some of you might be feeling in those things that you, that you have been in a relationship or in a relationship where someone's done something. And, man, I just want to say to you, like, Jesus wants the beast. Like, we are the beast, and he, he wants us. Um, and so, like, I want you guys to see, like, that the, the shame and the pride side is that's the gospel. Like, Jesus came and died for the bride. He wants the bride, no matter what has happened. He makes us clean and righteous and beautiful, and that's such a, a beautiful picture. And if you're in a relationship or have been in a relationship or know someone that is that has an attitude towards the other person, like, there's real distortions of the gospel that they have that they don't understand that I'd be weary of. Um, and, and so, yes, we, we want you guys to see that. Um, also, I, I did mention about, like, sharing your past, and um, I think it would be best to share it when around this context of engagement or commitment, but if you have, that's okay. Like, we'd love to talk to you more about this, about that and what that looks like. Yeah, the, the thing, remember from Beauty and the Beast, too, is that when Belle does, like, who could ever learn to love a beast? When Belle does come and love the beast, he turns back into his handsome-looking self. And that's what Jesus does to us. Like, as he has loved us as the beast, even though we are beastly, we can be portrayed now beautiful in his eyes because of Jesus. So now we're going to talk about um, pursuing clarity over intimacy. We're going to get to the point of what it means to pursue clarity. Instead of prioritizing intimacy, when we prioritize clarity, um, the point of this is to start to ask that question like Lucas talked about for us in marriage. Is this someone I desire to give all of myself to in marriage? So in dating, is we talk about as the evaluation stage because you're trying to you know, figure out how to care for them and serve them, but also should this be someone I get married to? And so we just wanted to give you two really quick, we could talk about this for a long time. We have a lot of thoughts, so feel free to ask more, but we want to talk about two quick things to look for. The first thing is to look for maturity. Do they love Jesus? Are they a Christian? Are you equally yoked with them? Um, do they have community? Are they humbly coming beneath somebody older than them to share everything and let people in? And then the other thing to look for is fun. Do you enjoy them? Do you have fun with them? Like it doesn't need to be, clarity doesn't need to be so rigid that it's like, okay, well they love Jesus and they're, they, they have community and they're mature in that way, so I just must marry them. It's like God stirs the desires of our hearts. So do you have fun with them? Is this someone that you can laugh with that you enjoy your time with? Um, so the purpose in clarity that we're chasing after is the question of we're dating to figure out, is this someone that I want to give myself to in marriage? Not someone that I can take from to be my bell, but is this someone I want to give myself to in marriage? So that was all under the, the first principle of dating. The second one um, is date to display Jesus. So if the goal of marriage that we see in the gospel is that we would be on mission of portraying Jesus to one another and imaging Christ in the church, and we know that dating is meant to pursue marriage, then can we fight to have that same mission in dating? Can I fight to love and care for Lucas when we were dating and display Jesus to one another? So we want to keep the same mission there, um, date to display Jesus to one another as you're pursuing that clarity. So um, you might be wondering, okay, well, that doesn't give me any practicals, and what does that actually look like? So we have 
Um, I'm glad that you asked. We actually, for every situation in here, every question that you will ever ask for all the different dating and scenarios you have, we have two main principles that will answer all of your questions. The first one is the gospel. Um, I, we talked about this already a little bit, but remember that is the relationship. That's where all relationships started. So when you're thinking through how do I interact with this friend of the opposite sex, how do I care for my brother and sister in Christ, how do I care for my brother and sister in my biological family, how do I care about community, how do I date, look to Jesus, how did he interact with people, how did he interact with you, how does he move towards people and take principles and gospel informed from there. And we see this in all of our mission statements. So for marriage, the mission in marriage is to image Christ in the church. In friendships, the mission in friendship is to display the love that Jesus has for you. And in dating, the mission of dating, to display Jesus as you pursue clarity for marriage. So can each of these different categories of relationships that we would point to and fight to show one another Jesus? So the second thing, the overarching principle, is community. You might have wondered, okay, they, I really haven't talked about community and all of those things so far. And we, the reason why we hadn't, because we wanted to clump them all together and make it one big point at the end, because this is really, really important. Like, if you get anything in gospel and people, getting people in your life is really important in, in any kind of relationship. And so um, we're, I'm going to read First John 1, 5 through 10 really quick. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so this verse very clearly calls us to, to walk in the light. Um, to walk in the light, to have fellowship with one another, with community, and not to be in the dark. And I think this is really hard to do this, especially, especially when you feel the weight of the sin that you're in, um, because we're afraid. Because we, we are, we are, we are afraid of being known and loved. We're we, we're afraid if we come into the light and out of the darkness. The question we ask ourselves: Will they still love me? Will they still look at me in the same way? Um, and like that's part of the re when, when I've hid in the darkness, that's why I was hiding in the darkness because I was afraid of not being loved or being looked at differently. Um, but in th what this verse is saying, when you come to the light, He is just to forgive you. He is faithful. He loves you. He makes He cleanses you, um, and which is really really good. And so, the thing that Ari and I talk about a lot is that. Um, one second. I think one of my points was back here. This page got flipped. Um, oh, yeah. So we really want you to get this. So one of the things Ari and I noticed over the years is that um, like we really, we've seen so many guys and girls who, who have gone forward in their relationships, or not just relationships, but this their, their walk in general without any counsel. And like we really want you to understand how important this is, is to, is to walk in the light with one another. And I think um, not coming to the light is more scary to us than the sin that you actually did. Like, because he's just to forgive that. He's going to forgive that. But if you're not coming to light, no one knows. Like, and it says, 
you're, you're in darkness, um, and, you're, and you're a liar, and the word is not in you. And so I just want you and encourage you guys to, to continue to walk in the light because he is faithful to forgive. He's a very safe person, um, and is really, there's security there. And so um, if, even if right now if you're thinking of something in your life or in your relationship that you haven't brought to someone, I'd encourage you to bring that to someone here. Bring that to someone that you can talk to. So we're going to give just a f- quick few principles on community, and then we'll wrap up and be done. Um, I'm sure we're all falling asleep so early. Um, so the first one, this is speaking a little bit about community, Windside Dating specifically. Um, there'll be another community talk later t- this summer from Alexis. So, But um, the first one is to date vulnerably. Let your community in. Let people in. Um, tell them what happens. Tell them how you feel. Tell them what you think about, bef- about that person before you go to sleep at night. Um, show them your text messages. Show them your Snapchats. Well, you, you can't show them. Talk to them about your Snapchat streak with them. But let them in to all of it. Don't hide and l- date in isolation. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about this, but we just pulled one. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So the beast was so afraid and so ashamed by his beastliness that he was in isolation in that tower because he thought, who could ever love a beast? But we know who could love a beast. And so we are freed to come and be beastly and come out and live in the light. And so date vulnerably. Um, And I would say don't even bring in just one person. Bring in two. Bring in three. Bring in all sorts of counsel into that. Um, The beginning of dating, when you first like them, when you start dating, through the whole process, and all the way into and through marriage. Um, Which we do have one little thing I wanted to talk about. I think one of the things that's been um, difficult and a trend that I've seen a lot more, I mean, it happened a ton when we were students too, but maybe it's just the small context of um, the Christian community, but is this thing of middlemen and middle women. Um, And I think... So for those that don't know, which I'm sure you all know, but if you don't, I'll explain. So a middleman or a middle woman coming in and like, oh, I really think Lucas is cute, but I don't know. Like, uh, would you see if there's any interest there? And that person then goes, interacts with Lucas, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I can tell by the way he's interacting with you. He totally likes you. We had a situation like this, actually, where one of um, a guy in our ministry had liked me. He had asked me out. I had said no. I had my heart set even though we weren't dating. Um, but it was, that wasn't why I said no to him. But he was really hurt and frustrated, and he became, it was a different form of a middleman. I didn't tell him I liked Lucas, but he kind of assumed I did by my interactions, and so he posted on Facebook a thing about me liking Lucas, and it was just so embarrassing and so hurtful, and it's not his place. And even in the way that you do that in a, like a more safe place, even if I had told him, would you go and interact with Lucas, I'm, I'm then interacting out of my core fear. I'm afraid that if I interact with Lucas and he sees me, he won't love me. So I'm going to send you instead. And now we're, we're hiding. We're interacting in shame. And out, instead of acting out of the way that God has designed me as a woman to invite, even if he doesn't see, which he didn't for a year and a half, and that was sucky, um, even if he doesn't like what he sees, because I have someone who's seen and loves already. And the same for the man's side. It's my fear of or a man's fear of if I move, then they might not respond, or they might respond differently, and I don't want that, so instead of moving, I'm going to be passive and send someone else to move, and so I would love to see a generation inside a Christian community where middlemen are done with, where we can act out of the way that God, we can take risks because we know that we're safe with God.
So the last thing that we have in our community is seek counsel in advance versus counsel after. And so um, I don't think it's, you can even call it counsel after. That's more informing. Hey, this is what I did. Um, but seeking counsel in advance. So Proverbs eleven fourteen says this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so um, abundance, not just one, but abundance of counselors, there is safety. And there is none, a people will fall. Because I think part of it is that our hearts are wicked and deceitful. And if we just kind of go about life and just do whatever we want, like there's this, we can't trust ourselves. Like we need other people looking into our lives. Um, and I would say, who are those counselors in your life? Who are those people that you're going to? Um, and I think oftentimes we might want to go to the yes men or the yes woman who will just tell us what we want to hear. Um, this is what I really want, so I'm going to go to this person who's just going to give me what I want. But I would really encourage you to get people in your, in your life who are going to press in into your life and actually ask you the hard questions, who might say something you don't want to hear, who actually love you enough that they're, they're going to risk maybe wounding you in that way. I mean, a healthy wounding, not a harmful wounding, but for your, for your good. Um, and I think this is so valuable to any type of relationship, whether a friendship or um, just a dating relationship, and especially even marriage. Like one thing Ari and I are convinced of while we've been married is that we need, it's not optional, we need other people looking into our marriage because our hearts are, are selfish. Uh, we don't love each other very well. And I, and I need uh, times, guys, to, or, or girls to call me out on that. And so um, please get that community is important for all of relationships. Um, and so in closing, we, we, like we just wanted you guys to m really get those two points, that um, you need community in your relationships, and second is that relationships are meant to image the greatest relationship we have in Christ. And so you saw all those points, how it's about the gospel, especially marriage, how, it, how its aim is to image Christ in the church. And so you guys might have a lot of questions. We, there, we kind of flew through some of this stuff, and we left so much stuff out and what that would actually look like. And so please um, use this as a time to, to continue discussion, to ask questions about what this actually looks like, how to care for one another. Um, and so I'm going to pray for us. And then we have a couple announcements, and then we'll be done. Um, Father, we thank you so much for um, who you are and what you've done and, and that you um, delivered us. Um, and you deliver, delivered us from the domain of darkness, and you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, which is a relationship. We have a relationship with your Son um, who... And who you fully know us, and you know every dark side of our heart um, and how we're wired, and yet you fully love us. You, you gave up your son for us, and so that those, those um, desires that we have are met in you. And so, Father, I pray that as we look uh, horizontally at our, our relationships there, that we would love one another um, and that we would be able to count one another more significant as we do that. So we thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.